Okay, welcome back to Go and Make. I know it's been a few weeks since our last episode. We had our Christmas break in there, and then St. Louis had a pretty exciting opportunity down at the SEEK conference. It was a beautiful week. Over 20,000 were there throughout the week, and an extra 5,000 people from St. Louis came down for Adoration Wednesday night. It was a powerful opportunity to encounter the Lord in Eucharistic Adoration, to hear some powerful keynotes and really, what I heard from people afterwards was that they just experienced a profound call to mission. The adoration fed them, that they saw Jesus, they received Jesus, but really that Jesus was sending them out on mission to their parish, to the world. And really, that's that's what we're all about here on Go and Make. It's really the mission of the church and the mission of what we're trying to do at the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So we missed you. We're glad to be back, and we're excited for this episode and all the upcoming episodes of Go and Make. We uh, we had lots of great conversations at Seek with lots of different people, and our hope was to get some of them on tape here to give them to you on the Go and Make podcast. The schedule was a little crazy. Uh, I was running around like a madman, having all the fun in the world, seeing old friends, catching up with folks, and talking to ministry and apostolate leaders from around the country. It was a beautiful time. So we only got one conversation on tape here, and it was with an old friend of mine, Jared Smythe, who is a focus missionary with me when we came in together, and now works for an organization called Communio, really focusing on evangelizing through the family, through strengthening marriage, helping people be in a place where they can receive the love of Jesus Christ. So a great conversation with Jared today. Can't wait for you to hear it. Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. All right, welcome back to the next edition of Go and Make. Really excited here. We are live at the Seek Conference. Now, we tried to find a quiet space, but if there's like extra background noise or someone walks in while we're recording, you might hear a little bit of that. So just the audio production will be a little bit different, but... There are so many great people at Seek this week, and we found one of them to talk to. We, we convinced them to spend some time mm. with us. Uh, we have Jared Smythe here from Communio. Welcome, Jared. Nice to be here, Brian. Thanks for calling me a great person. A so great a person. Yep. Yeah, mm. slightly above average. Anyway, we can <laughs> walk great. it back yeah. a little bit. Mm. So Jared and I go way back. We were focused missionaries together. We came in the same year, class of 2006, maybe the greatest focus class of all time. Probably. Lots of leaders, yeah. I mean, someone from our focus class is actually on the road to canonization to be a saint. Mm -hmm. So I think object objectively, that makes it possible. Not because of you or I, but just because of Michelle Dupong and her great witness, the greatest class of all time. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. Has mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. All right, so we'll get into what Communio is and what you guys do a little bit down the road here. But first, just tell us your own story, something we like to do on the show. Just uh, tell us your faith story. How did you meet Jesus? How did you decide to follow him and, and really embrace that call to mission? Yeah, that's, that's great, Brian. Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm uh, first of all just surprised that Focus has grown without us. You know, in the last <laughs> couple of years, yeah, but possible? somehow, yeah. yeah, it's managed to uh, to get here. And um, no, so I, I grew up um, uh, grew up mainly in Pittsburgh, living in Colorado right now. But I think I think the story of uh, my faith life is really kind of how generally uh, the sacraments work, right? I never had uh, growing up a particular aversion to church things, right? I never like, uh, there wasn't a lot of negative associations that I had. Uh, my parents, I think they went through their own kind of conversion a little bit later in life, but it was always important to them that, hey, 
we got to send our kids to Catholic school. You know, we got to go to mass on the weekends. And, um, uh, and so sometimes, you know, early on in my conversion, uh, uh, or my deeper conversion, when people were talking about giving a testimony, I was, I was always kind of looking for that, you, you know, that one thing that happened or that one particular time, right, that, um, that things became more real for me. Uh, I would say uh, I had a great theology teacher, you know, besides just having parents who were always um, really supportive of the faith. I had a great theology teacher in seventh and eighth grade, this guy, Ron Garofalo, he's a world champion weightlifter. Uh, and um, so, you know, if you were acting up in class, he'd come and give you a nice firm squeeze on the shoulders. I don't know if that's still allowed, but uh, he was good. That's right, <laughs> And yeah, uh, yeah like uh, just a good dude. And he taught us in seventh and eighth grade, a lot of the whys behind the what's in the faith. And Catholic right? school is so good at teaching, I mean, not so good, but they're, 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 mm -hmm. the one thing they do oftentimes is teach the what when he witnesses to teach the why. So it really yeah. is, it's different, it yeah. stood out, right? Yeah, so so you know, I was always a big reader. And so when he would do stuff like, hey, uh, let's go into the reason C.S. Lewis says you should believe in Jesus. So Lord, liar, lunatic, he added legend. He called it the four L's to deal with that a little bit as well. Or when he talked about the first cause argument, right? Reasons to believe in God kind of metaphysically. We can talk about these things in really complex ways, but conceptually, uh, you can explain that in ways that kids can understand, right? And so kind of already being sort of intellectually geared, uh, you know, unlike any guys I know uh, <laughs> as they're stepping into the faith, uh, it just allowed me to say, hey, this is reasonable and I'm actually really interested in it. This is like a whole nother way to like think about the universe uh, that I hadn't considered before. And so I think my own kind of reading, um, I went to a, uh, a Catholic high school after that that I would say, uh, was a little bit more challenging in terms of the way that they taught about theology. They would they would they would push a view of it that was a little bit more skeptical. And so, um, uh, but in that sense, because I had a good foundation, it made me kind of independently want to go read, want to find the right books, want to like answer some of the uh, questions and, and comments that I was hearing in class that were not very, you know, Catholic supportive or whatever. And so, um, yeah. So I I uh, continued to. Just deepened my faith through reading, through personal prayer. Um, had had some particular, you know, spiritual experiences. People had gifts of healing, you, you know, stuff. Um, there was maybe uh, I wouldn't call myself a a charismatic per se, but I would say like particular events there had real impacts on my life. And um, and then when I went to college. Um, uh, you know, the Newman Center. This would have been in. I graduated from high school in two thousand and two. Uh, in Denver, and uh, I don't know, Newman Centers were a bit of the Wild West uh, back in the day, <laughs> and uh, you know, we had some of the people at my Newman Center. You know, the theologian residence, residence there was a former priest married to a former nun, oh, right? Wow. He'd say things like, "You know, you guys got to read the Gospels with a grain of salt because they were written anti-Semitically." You, you know, and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you maybe maybe pushing it a little bit too far there," and. Um, uh, but I think what that did was because there was so much of a resistance towards a good Catholic community, those of us who had some foundation, um, uh, we, we just kind of grew independently in the faith because if we wanted something to go well there, we had to build it ourselves. And, and you um, somehow found each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'd like be hanging out. Uh, uh, you know, guys like Jeff Runyon, another 2006 notable alumni. What a, what a class. Mm -hmm. yeah. Steve Priest was up there at Colorado State, but, um, you know, he was kind of a jerk in my opinion. You know, he's really improved over the <laughs> he's years. He's a slow learner, too. He didn't join the focus till later, you know. Yeah, exactly. He couldn't have been mm -hmm. that, that yeah. same crew. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, great great people. And, uh, 
And so I went to my first focus conference in 2003 in Denver when it was not 20,000, but I think it was about 1,200 maybe back then. And um, uh, yeah, gosh, like just like at that point in my life, um, seeing people, seeing nuns and habits, just seeing good books, right, that I could trust, that I didn't have to say like, all right, does this particular author not believe Jesus produced miracles or something like that? It was, it was, a, it was a breath of fresh air. And uh, yeah, so eventually joint focus. And I, I would say for me, primary conversion is moving from that intellectual piece uh, to a deeper, more lived, personal, prayerful, um, holistic conversion. I think that's such an important moment for so many people when you realize that you're not alone and that you're not crazy. Because I think, you know, our culture obviously is, is in a spot where, you know, there's so many different messages and so many things going on. And, and the world wants to tell us that if you actually believe what the Catholic Church teaches, that you're on an island, that you're out there all alone. And all of a sudden you look around and you find a crew and you find some people who are who are standing in that gap with you and saying, no, I, I believe. And they come alongside you and they push you and they challenge you. And, and so... I think sometimes that's the power of these big events. Like, you know, the conferences aren't the end-all, be-all. There's going to be 25,000 people here this week. It's beautiful. It can be a powerful moment, and people have powerful experiences at the conferences. But it's, it's that inner conversion that can happen when you meet Jesus, yes. But it's also just the realization that I have people to walk and to run with, and it's worth doing. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, I... Catholicism can be weird in a way that's really positive, right? <laughs> that's right and, yeah. and we should we should let it be weird, and we should let that breathe. It's supposed and to be countercultural. Yeah, sometimes. we should not right. look like the world. Yeah, and um, but you want normal people who are being weird with you, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's space. a great way to say it. Mm-hmm. You find any of those ever in focus? Normal people? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, since you left, way percentage of normal people have gone up, up yeah, significantly. significantly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you joined staff, uh, served on a few different campuses, um, worked at a few different departments for Focus, and then yeah. you, you've moved out, and I'm sure we all have you know, wonderful stories we can tell of, of missionary life and things yeah, like that. Yeah, privileged place, yeah. Yeah, and it was really, I, again, like, yeah, really blessed to be ministered to, to be taught by the people we've been around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what's really happening right now is that a lot of Focus alums and a lot of alums of other great organizations like you know, net or life team, these new evangelization discipleship focused organizations mm-hmm. are being launched into leadership in different apostolates and dioceses and parishes right. yeah. around the country. So, you know, you come in and you're a young, zealous, 24 year old missionary you're on campus and you think you know everything. But here we are, like, you know, 15 years later, and we've learned so much along the way. And, and these people are getting launched into mission in places where they have real influence and are really having a, an impact on the church. So it's this promise that, you know, Focus talked about, you know, launching people into lifelong mission. We're really seeing it to be lived. And we're seeing folks like yourself getting launched into leadership positions and Catholic apostolates that are, that are coming to really renew the church from a million different angles. So Focus is doing it from the college campus. You know, the archdiocese, we're trying to work through parishes and do different things. There's lots of great apostles that have that impact on it. And you guys, Communio, mm-hmm. are really focused on the family. Can you tell me a little bit about what Communio is, where it started, yeah. and kind of what you guys do? Yeah, sure. So so I always tell people there's, there's a certain way uh, that I would rather be, because I ran about 50 campuses across the country with focus in the Northeast and the West, which are great places to be on campus, right? And I always say I'd rather be 
at a bar at Harvard doing direct evangelization yeah, with a student. Talking to somebody yeah, about exactly. those big questions that you were wrestling yeah, with. Yeah. yeah, or a coffee shop in Berkeley. Like these are just privileged, fun places. And uh, it is kind of teed up for you, right, to have those good conversations. Because they're asking the questions already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they actually, as busy as students think they are, uh, so much they got free some time. time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, oh, you're too busy. Tell me about your last nap. <laughs> you I haven't know, had right. one in years. Yes, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, so I, I love that, uh, the evangelization thing, that's, you know, that's my background, Matthew 28, like these are all so uh, convicting and core to how I believe I need to live as a Catholic and as a Christian. But if we don't fix the family thing, everything else we do down the line kind of limps. And so basically, um, you know, the church, the church has always taught that evangelization, the catechetics sort of starts at an adult level. Right, uh, we're not we're not a church that says, "Hey, evangelize the kids," and those the kids will evangelize their parents on up. Right, uh, John Paul II, right, Familiaris Consortio, uh, parents are the first heralds of the gospel. And as good as our youth groups are, as good as our schools are, if the parents are not engaged there, um, uh, there's going to be a problem, and we see that problem happening in the faith. So in Focus, we would always say, "Hey, look, if you're going to leave the faith, we'd quote this. Um, I think it's a Barna statistic that." Most Catholics leave between the ages of 10 and 20 if they're going to leave the faith. I think 80% was, is the number. Yeah, um, decided to leave by the age of 13. Well, that's might, right. They might not do it yes. mm-hmm. until a little bit later, but they've decided that it's irrelevant to them yes. by then. Well, yeah. so that's the point. Uh, 13 is a lot of times before they're in a good youth group, before they get involved with something good on university, because there is a problem that is deeper or a more foundational place in their upbringing. So so sometimes in communio, we like to compare it to a house on fire. The first thing you see when a house is on fire is the smoke. And in this analogy, the smoke is young people leaving the faith, which, you know, if you look at statistics like um, uh, millennials, 36% of millennials are religious nuns. Okay, this is the highest statistic ever reported. People who are just kind of lukewarm, you know, when it comes to their faith practice. Um, But you can't fix the house if you don't get to the fire, to the thing that's creating the smoke. We spend a lot of time looking at youth and doing beautiful things uh, uh, to help, you know, to help the youth stay in the church or get reengaged. But we have to fix the root of the problem, uh, which um, appears to be, right, or at least is really driven by the breakdown of the family. So Mary Eberstadt, she's a kind of a, a think tank, um, a Catholic out on the East Coast. She wrote a book a few years ago called How the West Really Lost God. Mm-hmm. And so there's lots of different reasons people say this. You know, it's, uh, is it post-World War II atheism? Is it, you know, the secularity that comes from a scientism? Is it wealth, sexual revolution? And all these things have a really important uh, place to play. But she says, when I look at Western countries, Europe and North America, what I see consistently is that um, the rates of family decline start and then faith decline actually follow after that. A lot of people think it's reversed, that people stop going to church and they stop getting married. But she says, um, actually, it looks like the family is the pivotal thing that I see consistently that starts to go down and then religious practice starts to go down, okay? So if that's the case, how is the church uh, addressing this particular thing, okay? Um, uh, we um, we just did a survey. So, okay, so let me talk about Communio just for a second. Sure. So jumping around a little bit. But um, uh, so Communio, we, um, we exist to equip the church for the renewal of healthy relationships, marriage, and the family. 
and my boss, J.P. DeGance, great Catholic guy. We're an ecumenical organization. Yeah, which is really beautiful, too. It's really nice, right? You, you like learn a lot of things from each other. Um, and uh, Sometimes I get yelled at when I say we have things to learn from Protestant churches because people want to hear that. <laughs> but it's like there's truth and beauty and goodness there. Yeah. You know, the fullness of it. There's something to learn, you know, as Catholics. So we have a lot of room to grow and learn from those folks. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Be, so I, I mean, look, just as an example of that, uh, we... Um, uh, you go to a good Protestant church, okay, uh, that's that's pretty active in terms of their own evangelism, as they would say it. Uh, right. And you walk down the hall, and uh, down uh, you see, you know down the hall you see maybe five different rooms that are all childcare, you know, for different ages of kids, so that the parents uh, can participate in whatever the church is doing there. Um, <clears throat> most divorce happens in the first five years of a marriage. And a lot of young families, what's the reason they don't come to church or church activities or whatever? Because there's nobody to watch the kids. And so they get strategically that if we're gonna attract new people, we have to make it easy for them to step into this. And that just that's just one thing that they do really well that we can take as Catholics and kind of improve, even though I understand finding babysitting can be difficult and what's the legality and everything, but when you do this, you're attracting people who, you know, as my boss said, look, I have eight kids. This is JP, eight kids, right? Um, uh, if uh, there was free babysitting and the activity was copying the book of Leviticus, I probably would have been there, you know, yeah, at a certain right, point right. in my life. Um, well, and sometimes even when they don't use the free service, it's a signal to them that it's for them. Yes. And that goes a right. long way too. Yeah, there's intentionality yeah. for hospitality Absolutely. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, we come out of, Communio comes out of a successful $20 million test from 2015 to 2018. Uh, it's the largest privately funded sort of marriage test in the country where um, uh, JP organized a bunch of organizations and in uh, a few different cities, Jacksonville, Florida, in Dayton, or, or Jacksonville, I should say Phoenix and Dayton, um, but in Jacksonville helped the divorce rate in the whole county go down 24% in three years. Just unbelievable. Just awesome, right? And just by working through the churches on this ecumenical project, marketing, inviting people, kind of using um, uh, some levels of like advanced data, right, to reach out into the community to actually get people to go through the content. The same thing that major corporations are doing when they do targeted marketing to try to get you to behave the, the way they want you yes. to behave. And we have a much better, you know, quote unquote product that we're selling. We're selling the gospel, we're selling Jesus, yes. and we're selling comfort and family life and all, I mean, all these beautiful things that we have to offer, but we're not getting their attention in the same way because we're afraid of those tools sometimes. Yeah, look, in certain ways, I, I wish that like Facebook and cell phones didn't exist, you know? <laughs> it would yeah. be nice to, to get a work message when I got back to the office on Monday, you know? Yeah, um, sure. Uh, but they do, and, um, uh, and there's just ways that rather than selling someone a credit card, we can say, hey, uh, would you like to join us for a family-friendly event uh, at the church? And so, um, so anyway, the the, uh, the national statistics down there were really um, effective and impactful. But then the other question was, great, when individual churches do this kind of work, uh, how does it affect them? And so we tracked 33 churches in those cities, and they're giving an attendance. Both went up about a quarter, which is which just is to say... Yeah. An awful lot. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And if that's round one, you've probably even gotten better at what you do since then, and, and churches start to build on their own momentum. Yeah. I mean, it's a game changer. If yep. your collections went up twenty five percent, that can that can be a full time person dedicated to hospitality at your parish, yes. or communications, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. evangelization, or family, or whatever. Like th those numbers add up to real ministries that can start to happen. Yeah, hopefully not paving the parking lot. Hopefully well, uh, I mean, putting it back into some. Uh... <laughs> as long as it's safe. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. but um, 
Uh, you know, when obviously uh, the family thing is that the, I mean, you can't understand the scripture if you don't understand the nuptial way that God relates to his people, right? Scripture starts with the family and ends with the wedding feast of the lamb, okay? So it's always been a central way that we have to think about human society. But there's also just a strategic piece and that there's a lot of broken relationships out there. And uh, when you offer people things that they need, right? It's like going on a mission trip. The first thing you do sometimes in some of the poorer countries is you gotta build a well, right? And that opens up conversations for discipleship, for evangelization. And by reaching out to people who have these relational needs, who are lonely, who are in tough relationships, um, it's just another open door to sharing the gospel and getting them more involved with a real community. Okay, this is part of communio, right? Like it's hard for people to self-actualize change. Right? You need others to walk along with you. We need to bring people into a community, not just into programs. And that's part of the holistic vision of doing this well. Yeah, one of the things we talk a lot about in our kind of paradigms for evangelism, and this is not you know unique to St. Louis, we didn't, we didn't make it up, but it's, it's that pre-evangelization <laughs> phase of yes. like, how do I create the spaces, and as Catholics, we're particularly bad at this, mm-hmm. how do mm-hmm. I create the spaces to open up that encounter? Yep. So this is why we love these big events. This is why we yep. love seek and retreats and acts retreats and whatever it might be. It's because we know that that's the place where the encounter can happen and it's mm-hmm. safe and it's mm-hmm. easy. Yep. We don't have a normal place in our day-to-day life of parish life to build the relationships to then foster those encounters. So we're actually not even yeah. good at meeting the people. When the people come, we don't use it to leverage it towards the gospel. We just use it to build human community and we never actually proclaim the gospel message. So yep. what you guys are doing is, t- is taking those, those spaces, creating the spaces, but there's an mm-hmm. intentionality in that path of discipleship, right? You know, um, yes. try to build out a pathway so someone knows, you know, where they're landing and you know where they go next or what they might need next. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we sometimes we use new terminology and we just slap new terminology on the old structures we've been living in. Okay, so let's take a word like accompaniment, uh, which I don't know, I guess can be loaded sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's a good fine. sense it's good. of uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. It's good. walking with people, yeah. right, and uh, and getting in their life. And so people say, all right, you got you got to you got to accompany people who show up to church. Like, when am I supposed to accompany them? Like, from, like, after they receive the final blessing to their car? You, you, yeah, you need, right. like, somewhere yeah, yeah, to actually yeah, yeah. engage in this uh, practically. And so, um, yeah, so we recommend that intentionally, like, a church has to do a few intentional outreaches every year. We have a multi-million dollar marketing system that helps go into the community to get those new people to show up, okay? And when they do, and when the church is ready to actually receive new people, it can be magic, because then you have the conversations, right? Because then you can show the intentionality, the hospitality, and there's no, you know this, right? There's no easy button for evangelization. No silver bullets. Right? Yeah. Uh, you can't just, uh, uh, the decline of the church in the West is a very, there's, uh, in, a, in a certain sense, uh, it's an expensive problem. There's a lot of things, right, that are fighting against us, and you got to be pretty strategic and pretty savvy about how you're fighting to win and steadfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yep. and we talk about it's it's a generational decline, and mm-hmm. what we're trying to build is a generational response. Yep. So that doesn't mean the communio can come in and fix your parish in three years, or if you do what Brian Miller at the Archdiocese tells you, you're going to be there and double your numbers. No, it's a generational response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which stinks. I don't yeah. like that <laughs> sometimes. <Yeah. laughs> well, the, you know, the generational stuff's interesting. We, um, I was starting to say, uh, so one of the things we do is we like to have 
churches kind of self-identify need, right? Because a lot of times uh, we could call it maybe like the Instagram generation, you know, or like a white picket fence. You, you see people's lives and they look really nice and everything like that. The white picket fence makes the house look good. But inside, you know, underneath the surface, stuff might not be going very well. And we have good Catholic friends, right, who are, let's just say they believe in the Eucharist, they're practicing NFP, and uh, they're divorced now, right? Because there were things that were bubbling and under the surface. unfathomable from the outside. Yes, You can't exactly. imagine it. Yeah. yeah, they're leaders, yeah. And... Um, um, uh, but there's real, look, uh, the reality is, right, there's a lot of different avenues towards deeper conversion. Um, but uh, let's just talk about human formation for a second, right? Like uh, you can believe in the Eucharist and still be a terrible communicator, or uh, you cannot deal with conflict very well. And, um, and so one of the things the academic literature would say is, hey, look, uh, if you would just take uh, eight to 12 hours a year, Okay, and do skills-based relational evangelism or relational ministry. That's the pivot point for increased satisfaction in your relationships and decreased propensity for divorce and separation. Right, and when I say skills-based, this is kind of a paradigm shift I've had, Brian. Like, um, I love the beauty of the church's teaching on marriage. The all the theology of the body stuff is cool, but you need to add right some of those practicals to really improve in your relationship. And so. If you do that proactively, okay, this is why the divorce rate went down in Jacksonville, right? You're helping people who have real needs, you're building that up, but you're helping good marriages get better and you're helping those who are starting to form cracks in the foundation, fill those in before there's a problem. Well, you're creating capacity. You're creating capacity to receive the teaching, the beautiful teaching, if, if you're, again, if the house is on fire. Mm -hmm. you know. So if, if we have pastors and families who can't receive the great content and the great work that's out there, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good that you know, form.org has millions of subscribers. That's great. It's the best, great content. But mm -hmm. if you can't actually receive it because you have this, because you're bleeding, because you have this yep. gaping wound, then it's not going to go anywhere. So Yeah, and content's not the problem. Like, right. thanks be to God, 20 years ago, maybe it was, right? There wasn't as much out there. It's like, uh, should I get a tan book right now? Absolutely. Or, <laughs> the, the golden <laughs> the age cover, of yeah. Catholic catechetical <laughs> content right now. Yeah, yeah, the problem is that it doesn't get to the people who need it the most, right? And so, like, we don't create content, even though we're in the marriage space. We're more... Uh, we want to create an operating system that drives demand to get people into the good stuff, which is why you need to start with evangelization. You need to start with those easy invites to people, whether it's an Oktoberfest, whether it's a fall festival, whatever it happens to be. Um, uh, you just need to step by step. When, when uh, we did the test in Jacksonville, there was a lot of marketing money that was spent on inviting people directly to the content, and people didn't show up. Shocker. Yeah, real shocker. I mean, I mean you, you wouldn't have been able to, uh, you, you know, surmise that before, you know, yeah, but, right. but you're just trying different things, you know, and so um, it's got to be a real process of trust and whether you're talking about wind build, send and focus terminology or some of Sherry Waddell yeah, stuff. Thresholds or, of conversion. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all the same stuff. Um, I was just mentioning that the survey uh, in the Catholic parishes we surveyed, so the last 19,000 surveys that, that we took on average, uh, about 20% of people self-identify a marriage in need. And these are people who are in the pews on Sunday, okay? And so let's just raise our hands and say, like, that is not nothing. Right. <laughs> That's a real need here, that typically at your average parish, you have marriage prep and nothing until there's a problem. And that's not a very successful strategy, right, for helping the core unit of the parish there. Yeah, I don't think people realize it, right? The, like, you know, one of my fundamental rules for evangelization work all the time is assume nothing of anyone, right? And that starts with oh, me good. looking yeah, in the good. mirror uh -huh. every morning and assuming nothing of myself. I have to give my own life to Christ every day. 
I don't assume that the people I work with in parishes or anyone has had that conversion or is in a good spot even right now. You know, maybe they've mm-hmm. had it and they've, they're drifting and it's hard or whatever. So, mm-hmm. but we, you know, we look out in the pews and we assume the people that show up are the ones that really care and they really get it. And, and to a certain extent, that's absolutely true. Sure. But we can't assume that everyone's in a good spot. And I think that, you know, mm-hmm. so if, if, if in St. Louis we have, uh, I think it's like 100, well, a couple of years, I mean, it was post-COVID, it was like 100,000 people in the pews on a weekend. Mm-hmm. That's 20,000 marriages mm-hmm. that are yep. self-identified at risk and probably some who weren't comfortable saying it to. Yeah, yeah, we were out, um, uh, Archbishop Nauman uh, has us working on a project in Kansas City. It's been really great to us. And so to start that, he had us come out and do sort of a, a three-hour workshop where he just invited a lot of the marriage leaders at different parishes and stuff like that and um, uh, and some of the pastors. And in the workshop, I, I told everyone, I said, hey, look, if, if I told y'all that, um, you know, me and my wife have been talking about our marriage at, at church for the last couple months, what's your initial reaction? And they're all like, what's your problem? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? There's just mm, a stigma. Some skeletons yeah, coming out here. Yeah, yeah. The only people who have problems, right, do the regular upkeep or intentional about their marriages and relationships. And until we break that down and normalize this as a regular part, they're like, hey, everyone at St. Thomas More, every couple of years, you intentionally work on on your most important relationship after God. Until we normalize that, there's always going to be a stigma that prevents some of this great stuff that like churches are doing. They're trying to get people there, but it prevents them from like stepping in and, and yeah, and just diving deep. So you guys are working in in a few different markets, a few different cities. Mm-hmm. What's the you know you talk about giving and attendance going up in terms of. You know, those are those are numbers that make an easy sell from the marketing side to get them to say sure. yes to you, <laughs> <Hopefully>, right? <yeah. laughs> but as far as even this, like the pastor catching the vision for what you're doing, or, or a church leader saying, "Okay, my life is easier now because I've worked with Communio and I have a better understanding of really all of the ministries of the parish to revolve around the family." So, have you seen that shift, or is that something maybe you guys are working towards? Uh, as opposed to this isolated approach, right? And I, again, I love youth ministry. That's my roots. It's my background. Good. And yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think we've learned a lot from youth ministry about relational ministry and evangelization and yeah. accompaniment, all those things. But how do we have a more cohesive vision for the parish around family life so we're not doing these segmented ministries? Have you guys kind of seen that happen? Or, yeah. or, or, or where can that go, I think? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I would mention two things. Uh, first is, um, uh, you know, we did a little study where probably in the United States... On average, uh, we spend at least six billion dollars a year on youth and young adult ministry, uh, and look, that might not be enough. And every youth minister feels under resourced, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's true. And they right? might be, yeah. yeah, they probably are, <laughs> right, yeah. right? Yeah, and um, uh, uh, but eighty-five uh, percent of parishes don't spend anything on marriage and relationship ministry. And um, so the point is not that we're not spending enough on youth and young adult ministry, but I would just take the church seriously considering how strategically are we forming the family? You talked about silos. I mean, we have youth group, we have men's groups, we have women's groups and stuff like that, but how are we helping, especially like husbands and wives, right, go, grow together with each other and in their own faith? And so, um, so number one, I would just take some intentionality beyond marriage prep, right, where how are we proactively, right? You, you can bring the smoking car into the garage or you can do regular oil changes. <laughs> and it's a lot easier to do regular oil changes than for someone to walk in and say, hey, Father, uh, I think we should get an annulment next month. Can you help us? <laughs> it's a rather you know, rather tough place for Father to, to for father to be. And so, um, uh, so, yeah, I would just say, number one, uh, how are you intentionally offering, right, some kind of program that has an element of hospitality or evangelization uh, for your parishes? And, uh, and I would also say, 
if you're not doing anything, well, how are you spending your resources strategically? Uh, 80% of everybody that we see in Mass on Sunday comes from an intact married family. It's, it's over 80%, okay? Um, it's a big number. It's a huge number, and guess what? The general population, 80% of the general population does not come from intact married families. In fact, if you're under 30, it's more likely that you are not from a married set of parents than you are. So you see this huge dichotomy in the church where uh, we just don't look, I mean, what does this tell us? It tells us two things. One, that's how important, okay, marriage, and especially the dad in a lot of studies is to keeping the kids involved in the faith. Um, and, uh, but it also tells us number two is we just don't do a good job with reaching out to that segment, right? So, you know, if a, if a, if a church says, hey, look. Yeah, it's a chicken look, or the egg here. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, 90% right. of our people are from intact married families. Isn't that great? Well, there's two ways to look at it. One is your church is doing really good. Or two, maybe like when we were on campus in Focus, if the only people who are coming to my Bible study are the daily mass people. Yeah, we, <laughs> probably, had, a, uh, <laughs> we had a stat going a while. It was like 90% of our seminarians went to Catholic grade school and 95 yeah. went to Catholic high school, which mm -hmm. is, again, like talks about the beauty, the power of Catholic education. Yeah. But also maybe we've done a criminally bad job of reaching the public school kids through, <laughs> sure, through yeah. PSR or CCD, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think to your question, have I seen um, uh, parishes and churches engage in this more holistically? Yeah. I uh, Parishes, look, Two things. Number one is a, a lot of them didn't have what we'd call marriage enrichment, okay, which is that proactive kind of stuff, and so that's that's been huge. You talk about pre-Cana, we need some post-Cana yeah, in there no, too. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and, right. and the church, uh, uh, Rome just came out with a document about, about sort of like the um, uh, uh, marriage catechumenate, right? And mm -hmm. the whole point of this, it's really good, is like it's not just supposed to be eight hours of marriage prep with a deacon that you're never going to see again <laughs> for the rest of your life, right? Um, uh, we want real accompaniment. We yeah. want people who are engaged in your life day to day, who you're going to see at mass, yep. who are going to know and love their kids. And it's interesting too, because you know we're sometimes our parish is going to become so big and so corporate that we don't have the ability to really know one another. So I live in a little neighborhood parish mm -hmm. in St. Louis, and a lot of folks walk and a lot of folks live right on the parish, and that's the ideal. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> the resources in the church don't make that <laughs> sounds idyllic. Yes, you drive your old yeah. 1950s Chevrolet. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. But it's beautiful and it's great, and we all share. Li we genuinely share life, like the First Thessalonians verse, and we're trying mm -hmm. to share the gospel mm -hmm. too. But we're in this like tension in the church where the resources and the priests, like we don't have enough to go around. So sometimes we have to have these bigger parishes. And I think that what you're talking about with family ministry can take a big community and make it feel small. So even if you're in a parish that has 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 families, we have some of those in St. Louis. Yeah. But even there, if you know, if, if you can develop your own little community, you know, JP2 talked about a parish as a community of communities, a family mm -hmm. of families. Mm -hmm. And to be known and loved by those people to create those opportunities and relationships is when the gospel can really come alive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and Brian, you're working in a diocese, an archdiocese, I should say. That's uh, right. Let don't me give you don't a downgrade yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, right, you're trying to help uh, in certain ways, different renewal, right, at these individual parishes. And, and uh, I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself, right? Like there's some parishes um, where the time frame for real renewal is, is just going to be very long, right? Um, the leadership, the culture and everything there. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, for them to, uh, for them to embrace, let's say Matthew 28 or whatever. Um, uh, what I do know is that, um, uh, if you have a group of faithful families, right. And they're in community with each other, uh, they might not have a vibrant parish life, but they can still like, they can still get through it. Right. And in, in, in those little communities that are in certain ways, right. Like the family was the first institution God created. 
even before before the church, right? He created the family, and so there's kind of a primordial way, right? That that we need to think about, uh, yeah, what's going on there, and how are we investing? I, I mean, at, look, at the end of the day, if um, uh, if we don't take the family thing seriously. Um, like the book was talking about, how the West really lost God, like all of the statistics are, um, our churches are just going to be empty. And that means more than marriage prep. Uh, that means more than just like sort of like uh, farming people else, you know, when they have problems or whatever else. But that means intentional, strategic accompaniment and resourcing this, right, to really build it up from the ground. That's great. Wow. I mean, yeah, I'm uh, excited and pretty convicted too that we can be doing more here in St. Louis around that. And it's, it's definitely been in our discussions and we've, you know, loved the work of Communio and we have some folks who are in kind of deep conversations with partnerships and things and that's all, yeah. mm -hmm. all really exciting. But even if it's not Communio, which mm -hmm. of course it should be, but no, if it's not, I mean, <laughs> I, yes. I think, you know, the folks who are listening to really get fired up about what are you doing as your, you know, as a parish, but also just individually in your own family. You don't have to mm -hmm. wait for mm -hmm. your pastor to start always. Because right. sometimes it's not going to happen. Because they right. have a lot on their plate, there's a lot going on, or they might have a slightly different vision. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. maybe as we kind of wrap up our time here, what are just some practical tips you could give to people in terms of what can they do in their own marriage, in their own family right now to take kind of this ideal that you guys are holding up with the renewal of the family, the strong family, that um, you know, if, if we're trying to go make disciples, we have to make disciples of ourselves and our children, yeah. and those we actually are in most contact with. So how do we how do we do that? What are some maybe just a couple practical things to send us out with here? Yeah, let me just uh, go back to that eight to twelve hours a year statistic. I think it's one point three minutes a day, right? Um, we um, uh, at this same little event I was talking about earlier in. Uh, Kansas City, we just took all the couples who were there through a 15-minute appreciation exercise, okay? Uh, it's one of those things that in some ways is so simple, I kind of felt like an idiot. I'm like, all right, like these are all the experts in the parishes, you know, and and there are people who are crying in the crowd yeah. because they, like nobody does that. No one does intentional conversations with their spouse, upkeep and things like this. And so number one is, um, I, I would just say like, like, uh, kind of set firm that we're talking, I mean, this is early 2024 here, right? But like this year, we are intentionally as a couple, right? Uh, gonna go through something, right? Where, where we can get better uh, with each other. And like, so for instance, uh, it's the Eucharistic revival year. There's a, there's a great piece of content called building a Eucharistic marriage. If you want to kill two birds with one stone, you know, or, um, uh, or if you want something uh, that's free, the Alpha Marriage Course, um, it's not Catholic, right? But Alpha's great, the really great production value, very practical and like, um, and you can just sit down and plug and play 90 minutes, walk through this, have conversation. They even have nice music when you're supposed to have conversation. And, uh, and these things just kind of, right, open up, right, new ways. Uh, everyone's busy, and especially when you have little kids and stuff, like having proactive time, having time where you're like asking each other, how are things going? How can I get better? Working on that human formation, as we wanted to say, is awesome. If couples would do that, it would um, it would just revolutionize, uh, yeah, families in a parish. Love it. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time with us today. Uh, can you just maybe take us out with a quick prayer here? Yeah, sure. Um, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, all the students, all the parishioners, all the priests, the bishops, everybody, uh, the sisters who are here at SEEK, we thank you for all the fruitfulness that, you know, these kind of ministries that have come out of um, um, inspiration for evangelization and mission in Matthew 28. We thank you that that these things are having a real impact in lives. And we, we pray, we know that it's the Holy Spirit 
uh, uh, that converts hearts. We pray the Holy Spirit would be active and living here at the conference, but also in all the different apostolates across the country that are trying um, uh, to lift up to the particular work uh, that you've given them. We pray specifically here for, for the Archdiocese of St. Louis, um, uh, for renewal here in, uh, in the parishes and, uh, and across the state. We pray for Brian in all his work. And, and of course, we ask, Lord, that, um, that the way you set up the universe and the way that you set up families, mom, dad, and um, uh, and little kids, we pray that uh, within the church there can be a metanoia, there can be a renewal of the way that we think about um, um, this kind of kind of new problem, right? How do we help um, How do we help families in a culture that doesn't support them uh, in a way like they used to? So, um, uh, St. Joseph, pray, for, pray us. for us. Amen. And the Father, Father and the Son, Son and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. If people Amen. want to know more, they can go to communio.org and... Uh, That's great. Sounds good. All right. Go and make disciples. Disciples.